All right, our second reading this morning is from Acts chapter 18. Um, You can find the text of that uh, in your bulletin. I'm reading from the ERV version, uh, beginning at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Later, Paul left Athens and went to the city of Corinth. There he met a Jewish man named Aquila, who was born in the country of Pontius, But he and his wife Priscilla had recently moved to Corinth from Italy. They left Italy because Claudius had given an order for all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to visit Aquila and Priscilla. They were tent makers, the same as Paul. So he stayed with them and worked with them. Every Sabbath day, Paul went to the synagogue and talked with both Jews and Greeks, trying to persuade them to believe in Jesus. But after Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time telling God's message to the Jews, trying to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. But they disagreed with what Paul was teaching and started insulting him. So Paul shook the dust from his clothes. He said to them, if you are not saved, it will be your own fault. I've done all I can do. After this, I will go only to the non-Jewish people. Paul left the synagogue and moved into the home of uh, of Titius uh, Justus, a man who was a worshiper of the true God. His house was next to the synagogue. Crispus was the leader of the synagogue. He and all the people living in his house believed in the Lord Jesus. Many other people in Corinth also listened to Paul. They too believed and were baptized. During the night, Paul had a vision. The Lord said to him, don't be afraid and don't stop talking to people. I am with you and no one will be able to hurt you. Many of my people are in this city. Paul stayed there for a year and a half teaching God's message to the people. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we ask for your presence here this day. We pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit as you did on that first Pentecost Sunday when you uh, inflamed the church, when you started the church, when you breathed life into the church and, and, and equipped the church and sent the church out into the world and made a difference. Father God, I pray that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit today and I pray that we would go out from these red doors Uh, filled with your fire, ready to change your world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a transition that's happening in this passage. Uh, We're now entering the third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. In his first missionary journey, he went to Cyprus and part of Turkey. In his second missionary journey, he went to Turkey and then crossed over into Europe. And we had the first European converts. And now, uh, and that, and that journey ends, uh, with his, um, uh, getting all the way to uh, Athens where he stands before the Areopagus and argues with the philosophers about Jesus. And then uh, our text begins, you know, there's a problem with wind up here. I'm going to, I need like a, I need like a, I need a, a something. Uh, Mia, could you grab my phone there and just bring it up to me? I'll use it as a paperweight. Joan Clover was having a little trouble keeping the candles lit in here because they kept blowing out. 
So our text begins with the word later. It's an indefinite later. Some, sometime later, after Paul is in Athens, uh, Paul goes off to the city of, of Corinth, uh, and this journey is going to be different. Paul's in Corinth for a year and a half. Now, we don't know how long he stayed in each city uh, in those first two missionary journeys. You know, probably a couple of weeks, maybe a month. He would stay one place and then he would move on to the next place. Usually he moved on because someone was, you know, running him out of town. But he comes to Corinth and he settles in there for a year and a half. Now, it's important to notice that building a church and establishing the church and preaching the gospel isn't something that happens with a circus tent flying through town. It does take time, okay? It's fine for an evangelist to come in and preach one sermon and move on to the next place, but to establish the church and to grow up the church takes time. Paul spends a year and a half. Imagine being under the preaching of Paul for a year and a half. I mean, what kind of Christians would we be? So he lands there in this city and for a full year and a half is teaching them on on a regular basis. Now, the first people that we hear about him meeting uh, in Corinth are Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila. Uh, they're, they're Jews. Uh, they're from Rome. They've been sent out of Rome because we, uh, because of an edict by Claudius. So this is one of those, uh, incidents in scripture that we also know about from non-scriptural histories. There, uh, was, uh, trouble in the city of Rome that was caused by the followers of Crestus, is what the historian says, and Claudius just solves this problem by getting rid of all of the Jews. This is a reference to, to the Jesus movement, which has risen up in the Jewish community. Of course, the pagans don't understand the difference between Christians and Jews. Those two communities are not really separated yet at this point, and so Claudius just sends all of the Jews out. He just sends them away. Now, they're going to come back later. When we uh, take a look at the book of Romans, we see the effect uh, of the Roman church of the Jews coming back into the church. But here we see a part of a diaspora uh, uh, from uh, from Rome uh, of the Jews. We know Claudius was uh, in power from 41 to 54 AD, so it's some someplace in there. And, he, and these uh, people happen to be tent makers. This is the first reference to Paul being a, a, a tent maker by profession. So Paul, of course, was a, a Torah scholar, but he didn't make his living as a Torah scholar. He made his living working leather and and making tents. Now we have this uh, word in in English now to be a tent maker. Okay, this is this is what we call a pastor who's got to have a day job. All right, I'm not a tent maker. You are my day job, okay? But in some small churches, churches that are starting up, it's it's necessary for the pastor to, you know, maybe be a teacher or a bus driver or, or to do something else to support himself so that he can do ministry on on the weekend. At the beginning of Paul's ministry in uh, Corinth, he is a tent maker ministry. We see this in verse four. Every Sabbath day, Paul went to the synagogue and talked with both Jews and Greeks, trying to persuade them to believe in Jesus. But after Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time. Okay? So at the beginning, Paul's there by himself. 
He's supporting himself as a tent maker. He goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath and, and he teaches on the Sabbath day. But then during the course of the week, he's got to go back to work. Silas and Timothy show up from Macedonia. Okay, the reinforcements come in, and apparently now Paul has the leisure to be able to serve the gospel work full time. Okay, so we we see Paul being a tent maker there at his at his uh, at his beginning. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the gospel appeals to the intellect. That the gospel appeals to our reason, all right? To become a Christian, you need to understand some basic things about what the Bible teaches. If you don't, if you don't have the mental capacity for that, uh, it, it wouldn't be possible for you to grasp uh, the gospel. We saw Paul in in Athens arguing with people, and and the word that's used uh, uh, in that passage and, and in our passage today is the word where we get uh, the uh, it's the, it's the, the root word is the word for dialogue, as in a platonic. Dialogue In verse 4, in our translation, it said, Paul went to the synagogue and talked. Well, the, the word there is the Greek word for, for dialogue. He's having a conversation with them. He's discussing it with them. He's uh, appealing to the reason. He's explaining things to them. It's important for us to understand that there is a truth content to the gospel. We don't park our brains at the door when we come in, when we come into church. We bring our emotions and our passions into church too, but we bring our reason and our intellect into church as well. And so if preaching is only appealing to your emotions or to your passions, but not to your intellect, it's probably not gospel preaching. Alright? The Apostle Paul doesn't stand up in front of the people in Corinth and tell them funny, heartwarming stories. What we hear in scripture is that he appeals to their reason. And again, the word that's used there is precisely the same word that's used in a platonic dialogue. The kind of dialogue that Socrates had with his students there in Athens. He's trying to persuade uh, them to believe in Jesus. So he's in the synagogue. He's with people who believe in the one true God. He's he's with people who have received uh, the Old Testament scriptures. And he would be explaining to them out of the Old Testament scriptures. He would be tying what the prophecies of of the Old Testament said with this man, Jesus, who's only recently died and been resurrected. Paul's probably preaching about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And so his job in the Jewish community is to show people, yeah, you know, you believe what Isaiah said and you believe what Zechariah said. Well, don't you see how it points directly to this man, Jesus, that you've probably heard of that who was crucified uh, in Jerusalem. And so Paul is uh, arguing with them, talking with them, dialoguing with them, trying to persuade them to believe in Jesus, trying to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. It's very important that we understand uh, that there is a truth content to the gospel rather than simply an emotional appeal. Now there comes a point where Paul seems to come to the end of the argument. There comes a point where in this conversation, I suppose, you know, they're going along. But at some point in verse 6, we, we hear that Paul was teaching and they started to insult him. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever been in an argument with someone or, you know, an animated conversation with someone and, and they, the, the point comes where they begin to insult you. Well, what do you know about their position at that point? When it gets to the point where the other person needs to insult you, it just simply means they've run out of reasons. Okay, they, they've come to the end of their logic. Alright, it's a proof that, that they've lost the argument. If I have to insult somebody, you might want to think about this in your political discussions. If you get to the point of needing to insult that person, you've just proven you're out of arguments. That you, you've come to the end of your logic. Well, at some point, some of the people in the synagogue just begin to abuse Paul just to insult him. You big dumb jerk, you smelly Palestinian. I don't know what they insulted him. I, but, you know, they, they just were mean to him. All right? They were no longer uh, arguing about the issues. They had come to the end of their logic. They began to make ad hominem arguments. And so Paul shakes the dust... From his clothes. Now, we don't really do this anymore. It's a it's a symbol. Some of you have a Bible there. I didn't bring a Bible with me. Somebody open up to Luke 9 5 and read that out for us. Luke 9 5. Oh, look at that. Wow, man. I'll read it out for you. But you can you can look along with me so you know that I'm not making this up. Well, actually, let me go back to to Luke 9, 1. And he, Jesus, called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics, and whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And... Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Okay? This is Jesus' instruction to the apostles regarding the proclamation of the gospel. Go into the towns and proclaim the gospel and proclaim the gospel and proclaim the gospel and proclaim the gospel and proclaim the gospel. And And if they won't hear you, shake off the dust as a testimony against them. This is a fearful thing. I don't like to hear this kind of stuff. I particularly don't like to hear this kind of stuff out of the mouth of Jesus. There comes a point where God is just done with you. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the gospel, but you didn't respond to the gospel. At some point, God will stop contending with you. Which is why today always has to be the day of salvation. Don't think that you can, don't think that you can get right maybe later or I'm gonna fool around until I get closer to the end of my life. I'm gonna have a little bit of fun now. I don't wanna spoil, uh, this time of my life by not following Christ. There will come a time where God will no longer contend with you and your heart will no longer be able to hear and to respond to the gospel. Okay? We have to be very careful about this. And, and I point to the fact that this is Jesus who gives this instruction. This isn't some, you know, short-tempered, mean bully 
Okay? This is Jesus, patient and kind and long-suffering. And he says, there will come an end to the proclamation of the gospel. All right? Our job, of course, as the people of God is just to keep to keep preaching it, to keep preaching it, to keep, pre- keep preaching it. But there is is there needs to be a recognition that at some point we do have to move on. All right, and so Paul, as a, you know, as a kind of as a gesture, shakes the dust off of his clothes. I guess the idea is that I, I don't even want the dirt from your town on me anymore. Your town is so lousy. I don't even want I don't even want your dirt on me. If you are not saved. It will be your own fault. I have done all I can do. Imagine being under the preaching of the Apostle Paul and not being converted. I mean, how stony do you have to be? Okay, he's the best preacher. I can understand why you wouldn't be converted by me. But why would you not be converted by the Apostle Paul? And yet many weren't. Now, the next line is a little bit ambiguous. I want to make sure that you understand the ambiguity of it because the text itself brings this out. After this, I will go only to the non-Jewish people. Well, that's not exactly true. Because we see immediately afterward that Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, becomes a convert. That he sets up shop next to, next, next to the synagogue. Okay, Paul, Paul's been preaching in the synagogue. This is kind of like church planting genius. He sets up his church right next to the synagogue. Okay, you weren't going to hear me in the synagogue. Well, I'm just going to open up shop next door. And so he opens up shop uh, in the house of Titius Justice. And he begins to meet there with the people. And so the church is gathered there. And Crispus, who's the leader of the synagogue, uh, uh, becomes uh, a believer in Jesus Christ. Many, All of the people in his household, there are many, many Jews who continue to become part uh, of, of the church as it's growing. It is not true that that all of a sudden at this point... That the gospel was closed off to the Jews. I want to be very, very careful uh, about not making that conclusion. Okay, so Paul leaves that synagogue. He's no longer going to preach in there. Maybe they weren't too content to have him in there anyway. And so he goes next door and he continues to do his his work. And the people in the household are are become believers and they're baptized. Let me talk about that. Baptism and belief are are married, okay? When you become a believer, you need to be baptized. When you become a believer, you need to be baptized. You don't delay it, you know, until your prom or some other day. When you become a believer, you get baptized. And you see this pattern in Scripture. They believe and they get baptized. They believe they're driving in the car with the Ethiopian eunuch... And they pull over and get baptized in the ditch. That's how urgent it is to get baptized after you become a believer in Jesus Christ. Do not delay it. Okay, you, this baptism is not for you. It's 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 not your coronation. The baptism is a sign to the world that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, and if we're going to profess faith in Jesus Christ, we need be uh, to be baptized. Verse nine. During the night, Paul had a vision. Every once in a while, Paul had these visions. I've never had one of these. Paul had a vision, and the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, and do not stop talking to people. I am with you, and no one will be able to hurt you. Many of my people are in this city. Well, Paul's experience in the first two missionary journeys was one of beatings and attempted stonings, 
and imprisonment and insult and derision and being chased out of town and needing to sneak away. He's had a rough time of it. I I think he was a tough guy, but it's got a wear on you. Uh, and... This word of encouragement comes to him from Almighty God. I guess it's from Jesus, actually. When, the, when we see the Lord there, he's re- reference to Jesus. Jesus speaks specifically to Paul and reveals to him that he, he, Jesus, has many people in this town. Well, two things I want to point out about this. Number one, those many people who are in Corinth have not yet become Christians. Okay? Paul's going to convert them. They belong to Jesus. They just don't know it yet. Okay? There are people all around us who belong to Jesus. The light just hasn't gone on for them yet. They belong to Jesus. Jesus has claimed them from before the foundation of the world. And it's our job as the sheepfold to gather in those sheep. There are... Stray sheep wandering around our neighborhoods and in, in, in our groups of friends, and they don't know they're Christians. They don't know that they belong to Christ yet, and they need to be brought in. Okay? Remember the image that Jesus uses of the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one. Okay, the one belongs to him too. The one is not in the fold right now. It's off over some crazy place. It needs to be rounded up. All right? Our job as the under-shepherds, okay, we're the little shepherds under the big shepherd. Our job is to be rounding up people, okay? There are people you know right now who belong to Christ but are wandering around in, in, in insanity, okay? They're outside of the church. They haven't found a home. They need to be brought in. Who's going to bring them in? Well, we are, Okay, that, that's our job. Alright? Now there are a whole bunch of people in this church who are praying regularly for unsaved people. And I need you to keep doing it. There is a, there are a group of women in this church who are regularly praying for unsaved members of their family. You need to keep praying for those people. Alright? It's not gonna be the, you know, your eloquence that's gonna convert them. I mean, the Apostle Paul was able to get through to some, he wasn't able to get through to others. But what I want you to see here is, is that Jesus speaks to Paul and says, you know what, I have a lot of people in this town. Well, we know they're not converted yet because there's not a church there. Okay? Paul's gonna start the church. But there they are. They're, they're, they're there. That's the one thing I want you to understand. The other thing I want you to understand is, is that there are times when we as Christians feel very alone and very isolated. I mean, you know, we gather every week here mostly as a huddle before the play. Okay, we huddle together with all the fellow players and then we go out and we run our, we run our plays on the field. And we huddle together because we need the, we need the encouragement of being with other people. I mean, what was horrible about the whole COVID thing was just not being with the body of Christ. Not being able to see each other or, you know, having some kind of screen between us. It's important for the body to be together, to be encouraged and to be, and, and, and to be strengthened. Okay? Where was I going with this, Charlene? 
Yeah. So we're going to keep praying for these people. We're going to keep inviting them in. We gather here as the people of God and we will gather in the lost uh, and the strength. That's the one thing. Oh, here's the other thing. Now I remember. Thank you. Uh, the other thing is, is that sometimes we feel isolated. And so it is important for us to gather. I'm really, really afraid of Christians who say, well, people who call themselves Christians, people who call themselves Christians, well, you know, I believe in Jesus, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm born again. I don't go to church. I believe in Jesus, but, you know, I don't go to church. Okay. Fellowship. We got to have the fellowship. We were made for the fellowship for the koinonia. All right. We are designed to be in a relationship, not only with Almighty God, but with brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are also going to have a relationship with a local congregation. I don't know how to put it any other way. This is the model that we see in Scripture. There are no uh, uh, lone ranger Christians wandering out in the world. All right. To be a Christian is to be embedded in a body. And look, why do people uh, like Jesus but hate Christians? Well, because Jesus is good and Christians, you know, are messed up. Okay? And church life is hard. People are goofy. They say dumb things. They step on your toes. Uh, you know, that. welcome to the real world. Okay? It's like being married. Okay? I won't say anything more about that. Okay? <laughs> It's like being married, okay? It's complicated. It's hard. But guess what? That's what we're called to. We're called to fellowship in the body of Christ. And part of our Christian discipline is that hard work of living with other people that we've got some little differences with. Okay, we're unified on the essentials. On the saving blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, we're unified on that. Okay, let's not fight about all the other peripheral junk. Was that song in 3-4 time? I don't like songs in 3-4 time. Why is the pastor not wearing a mask? The coffee was cold today. Did you notice, by the way, that we have red here too? Yeah, so Joan Clover did that. I sent her a text this morning saying, Oh, it's Pentecost Sunday. I sent her a text. Of course, she had already done it. She knew it was Pentecost Sunday. So, all right. So, um, we need, we need the body of Christ. Um, and so I want you to be encouraged to know that there are a lot of Christians around you, even when you're out in the world and you're feeling isolated. I'm thinking about the story of Elijah who was in a head to head battle with the, with the, with the prophets of Baal. Baal worship had taken over Israel. All right. King Ahab and his nasty wife Jezebel are Baal worshippers. This looks really bad. Okay, it's, the, it's like the president, you know, and 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 the vice president, you know, being Satanists. Okay, and there you are. You're part of this country. You think, oh, you know, poor me. I'm the only one who tr- truly believes in God anymore. And Elijah goes off crying and whining to God, and God opens his eyes and and reveals to him. Oh, actually, there are seven thousand believers still. Okay. So what I want you to know is come together so that you can see other believers and be encouraged that you're not alone. Stay in touch during the week. Go to Bible study during the week. But in those moments when you feel like, you know, I'm the only one who's standing up for a biblical worldview in a world that's going to hell, 
know that God has a lot of people. They're there. Okay. The other encouragement I would offer you is let your light shine. Elijah, in some sense, felt isolated because the other people who believed in Yahweh weren't letting it be known. Well, they weren't letting it be known because it was politically dangerous. Okay. Baal worship had taken over. It wasn't cool to be a follower of Yahweh. I think we need to stand up. I think we need to be visible. We need to be out of the closet Christians as an encouragement to one another. Not only as a witness to the world, but as an encouragement to one another. You might have been in that situation where you've entered into an atmosphere that's, you know, thoroughly secular and you discover another believer there. It's very encouraging to find another believer at work or to have meet another believer next to you on an airplane. Okay, so I would encourage you to be the one that lets the world know that yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a disciple, uh, disciple of Jesus Christ. Let me close my comments here just by asking you two questions. Question number one, based on this reading that we've had uh, this morning. What do you need to do this week? Based on what we read from Acts chapter 18, what do you need to do this week? I'm not going to tell you. Holy Spirit will tell you. Based on what we read in Acts chapter 18, what do you need to do this week? Maybe that you didn't do last week. And question number two, who else needs to hear about this passage from you in this coming week? Who can you share this with? Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you and we thank you for your church. We thank you for this Pentecost Sunday and for the saints who've gathered here. Uh, Lord God, we pray that you would um, inhabit the praise of your people, that you would be satisfied. Uh, with the songs that we sing you this day and with the prayers that we offer. Lord, we do pray for those who are still wandering around outside of the fold. I pray that you would gather them in and let them feel at home uh, in the body of Christ. Lord, we thank you for making yourself known to us, and we thank you for uh, the ability to meet here uh, today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.